Hey, this is the Bridging Realities Podcast with your hosts, Danielle Polgar and Eugenia Crock. Bridging the esoteric and the practical concepts of astrology into everyday life. We're happy you're hanging out with us and we hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Astrology lovers, <laughs> <laughs> friends of planet Earth, <laughs> and all the other awesome planets out there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that actually makes me think of a conversation I had with someone this week, and I was talking about this ninth planet and all the features of it. It's like if they find this thing, it's massive. It's like mm. it just trumps. Uh, planet earth but this person said excuse me i just don't want to talk about it and i said why not they said i cannot handle thinking about outer space oh my god i have friends like that too (laughs) i have friends who are like phobic of space yeah yeah space phobes like i'm like what when I, i i went into this like um hypnotherapy session many many years ago before i started studying astrology and in this you know meditation or whatever I went into, the woman was guiding me and she was like, now tell me where you are. And I'm like, I am by myself floating in space. And she's like, you're in space. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) that's where I feel safest out in the middle of nowhere with no humans all by myself. That's the safest place for me. Totally. Well, and I actually feel that way like 24 hours a day. I mean, I really, I, I, very consciously feel like I'm just in the middle of outer space all the time because yeah. I am. Oh yeah. Um, I always put myself in that mindset too of like remembering that we're on a planet that's just floating in just space. Just floating around. Yeah. <laughs> floating around. Like, and we're one of, of literally countless out yeah. there. Um, yes. I like outer space a lot. And uh, so if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you like outer space as well, which is really, really neat. Um, which means you probably have some Aquarius in you. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we have just come out of lo- lots of different things. What's up, dogs? Um, and dogs. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, but we're coming out of lots of different things. And I think we're all uh, ready to talk about, well, Danielle and I are ready to talk about a few other things. And so what we're hoping to do today is talk, back it back, back it up, all the way back to the Zodiac. I know that uh, from the feedback we've gotten, we've have some expert people listening. We have some brand new astrologers listening, but for this, we'd love to talk about just the natural Zodiac and go through the archetypes of it. What is Aries, Taurus, Gemini, and so on. And so this is going to be the first part of a two-part series uh, discussing the archetypes of the Zodiac. And this is meant to be for Um, astrologers or people who have done it for a long time, I think it's always really good to get any interpretation about any sign that we can. And this is going to be more about foundation and and laying down the foundation for astrology. So do we still have you, Danielle? I'm here. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) I got the dogs under control. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. We're bringing it back to basics. And really, I also want to just add that I think that this is helpful information for anybody who's even interested in astrology, whether you're studying it or not, just to understand what the Zodiac uh, represents, you know, in terms of your understanding of other people and um, what, you know, in terms of 
what you read uh, in a horoscope or anything like that, just to kind of get some fundamental information. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start from the beginning and I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start saying a couple of things, Danielle, if that's okay. And um, the first thing I just want to say is what is the Zodiac, you know? Uh, so for some of you, this is going to be repeat, but let's go there again. Uh, the Zodiac is just these fixed stars in the sky. That's literally all it is. And as we were ancient people, so I actually had a really ex- interesting experience yesterday where I live. The power went out for almost eight hours where I live in the mountains where there already is not cell phone service and there's already no way to connect to the outside world unless you have internet and electricity and it was intense there was there was no 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 connection to anything it was, it was really actually really wonderful and relieving and i was with some friends and when the power came back on we were all a little disappointed which was interesting but it made me think about yeah being primitive and being very very connected to our environment like when the power went out our the comment that everybody kept saying is i feel like i'm here like on planet earth i'm here i'm i'm here and that was interesting Uh, that makes so much sense though because if you don't have connection to internet mm -hmm. or you know the the web Mm -hmm. it which is this kind of external reality world and reality yeah that's interesting well and we don't have currency without electricity anymore we don't have you know there's a lot we don't have without electricity and and when you're the one not you know, I think about camping, you, you know, that's a choice. I'm saying I don't want to be around that. I want to go back, be in nature for a little bit. But when you're doing everyday life on a weekday and you can't, you have no control over it. It's very, very interesting what the brain does. It's, and it's, it's like relieving, like, oh, I'm coming yeah. back to this planet. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm mentioning that because I, you know, when I think about astrology, I'm always thinking about primitive people. And I'm thinking about the people who created astrology and it goes back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, we start seeing it about 5,000 years in Asia and India, and that's where we get the roots of Vedic astrology, but Western astrology itself, which we can do a history show at some point, but it uh, really comes from Mesopotamia about 2,500 years ago. And obviously a lot has changed about astrology since then. And there are excellent astrologers working to recover data from all the way back from Mesopotamia and beyond and trying to really um, delineate where all of these findings come from and how did they come up with these conclusions? Because these astronomers slash astrologers were staring at outer space really consistently and putting together correlations. And it really wasn't weird. It wasn't voodoo. It was just like um, weather. (laughs) It's just like, what's going to happen tomorrow because we need to be prepared. And we don't have now, you know, we have smartphones to tell us about the weather tomorrow, but they didn't and so on and so forth. So they recognize, okay, we've got these constellations. They don't move, uh, but we do. We are moving around the sun, although we were at the center of the solar system for a while. And good old Galileo, who discovered Saturn, was the one who said, oh, no, 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 no. The sun's at the center. And then, of course, he he got persecuted for heresy. Um, But, of course, he's been pardoned, which is great uh, recently. And uh, I digress, but I just want to say that the 
the zodiac comes from us realizing that we go around the sun, but we go around the sun and we have these really distinctive phases because of that. We go through spring equinox, we go through summer solstice, autumnal equinox, and then winter solstice, and we do the whole thing over again. And the way I like to describe it to my clients or when I'm teaching is that the zodiac, every phase that happens in the zodiac, is a, it's naming a phase that will happen in every cycle that will ever take place. So we, we, the spring has sprung here in the northern hemisphere, and plants are not full-bloomed. They are not dying. They are coming to life. There's little buds at the end of the trees. They have not budded. They're not out. We're still feeling this, ooh, something's about to emerge and begin, because this is the beginning of a cycle. And so I, as we talk about this today, I'm going to use a lot of my analogies to help describe the different phases in the zodiacal cycle in terms of the different phases of human cycle, breath cycle, uh, seasonal cycles, and so on and so forth. But just to establish that it's, 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 you know, it's just a couple stars up in the planet. They call it Aries. Great. Uh, that's where our planet, that means we are in the first phase of this 12 um, pi phase of an entire cycle. And just to kind of establish that, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, what I just said, um, Danielle. <laughs> it does. It okay. does. Yeah. I'm following okay. you. Cool. Okay. I feel out there for sure. Um, and I feel springy cause I'm really excited right now because uh, it's not snowing and it's warm. So, um, yep. So we're the first uh, sign is Aries. So, uh, so I'll just say really quickly. So we move into the spring equinox. We move into the first sign of Aries. And to me, Aries is of course the impulse to begin. So, um, if we're talking about uh, human development, to me, this is about when, you know, the, the sperm hits the egg, it germinates, and then a, a child gets the energy to, leave the womb whether they wanted to or not but the cord gets cut and to me that is Aries energy it's it's our separation from source it's our mm-hmm. separation from other it is individuation it is I am now me and even if mo- mother is there or whatever we now start our individual plan uh, uh uh, path on this planet and Aries uh, with that impulse to begin when we look around us right now and the energy there's a lot of spontaneity happening right now um, hey you want to go do this thing yes <laughs> because we can and so there's a lot of thoughtlessness uh, when we're in the spontaneous spring season and so the plants are going through this they're coming out of hibernation, they're coming out of their womb and their impulse to begin and they're excited and there's this, this energy. So that's how I like to think about Aries. Uh, how about you, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> well, Eugenia, um, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. And I'll also just say that, uh, Aries is the first cardinal sign mm. and cardinal meaning, um, again, something that's initiating a cycle. So, mm. uh, cycles usually have three parts and in the zodiac, we have three energies, the cardinal, mutable, and fixed energies. Um, so when we're moving through a season, let's say, of the zodiac, 
we start with the cardinal energies and then we move into fixed energy into mutable energy mm. and then again back into a cardinal energy so um it is the first one so it really has a lot of of this ignition you know like turning on the car so to speak and turning on your vehicle of your life and which is your body so uh aries also represents or rules the first house which is your physical body and your appearance and your personality um and so for me, Aries is very much a self-focused sign, mm-hmm. not to say that all Aries individuals listening out there are selfish people, but just that they're the way in which they um, engage in life uh, is very much from a self-oriented place or a place of self-confidence and uh, fiery energy because Aries is also a fire sign. Uh, so yeah, bringing that light and life force energy forward is something that I feel in the Aries season, but also something that I get from um, individuals with that Aries spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you for mentioning cardinal, fixed, and mutable. I'm so bad about that. Thank you. That is mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah, and then fire sign. Yeah, and it's it rules first, and it's ruled by Mars, aka Aries, right. the god of war, and. Uh, of course, we've talked about him in the last episode about Mars retrograde, but just a little reiteration about Ares, the god of war. He His character in mythology is representing the part of the psyche that is driven, that acts. And so Mars or, and or Ares, he goes out and he starts war. Of course, he's the god of war He because he acts on impulse and um, and separates things and this is again kind of a reiteration of Aries to separate yeah. and to be impulsive. And that war ultimately does bring growth and, and, and beauty ultimately. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And also to put oneself out there, you know, yes. to be able yeah. to just be, um, how do I say this? Just, yeah. Put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. That's stepping out into life mm-hmm. and, beginning the game of life that Mm -hmm. is Aries Mm -hmm. yeah and then maybe in some future episode we could like literally go through you know the planet Mars through different signs and houses and you know things in the first house and things of that nature so we can you know get more in depth we can do whatever we want to do with this podcast so we can do that at some point if we want (laughs) but let's move along to my one of my personal favorite signs in the Zodiac, I must admit, my favorite, not favorite, I've, I've got a lot of favorite people, but some of my closest friends are Taurus, including the lovely Danielle. And so... Why, thank you. Uh, yeah, so do you want to introduce your sign? Oh, well, how do I do this without just thinking about myself? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, I actually don't really relate to my sun sign as much as I do to my moon sign. And mm. So anyways, but Taurus is the second sign of the Zodiac. It is ruled by Venus, the planet of love and beauty and harmony. And I also consider Taurus to be ruled by the earth or it just, it is of course an earth sign and it is a fixed sign. Um, It represents uh, beauty and the here and now in physical form um, and everything that we bring to form, whether it is a tactile something or something of life, you know, the five senses or the six senses even, Mm -hmm. and how we experience our life through our bodies. So for me being a Taurus, so I can speak from it, I guess, um, I do have a sense of strong connection to mother nature and 
to, uh, all of the five senses. I really enjoy cooking and making art and creating things, whether it's through, uh, writing or whatever. I mean, videos, videos. I, lo- I haven't made a video in a really long time. Do it. Do it. <laughs> um, but it's also how we relate to our security as well. And mm-hmm. being present in, uh, being connected, you know, like grounded really to ourselves and to our bodies. Um, and I guess it takes on the energy of Aries in the sense of, uh, that's place of identity, um, just takes it a step further. So I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Yes. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. And I, I look at Taurus as the infant of the Zodiac. So as we go through human development. Uh, So what starts happening after we've left the womb? Well, we are infants and we spend a good chunk of time being infants. And uh, what do we do? What's the point of being an infant? Well, it is to develop the senses, right? So I always describe Taurus this way. Taurus is not philosophizing about life. An infant is not philosophizing about life. An infant is not going to work or developing relationship. An infant is literally using, learning to use its senses so it can interact with this world. And so, you know, I talk about in psychotherapy, we, we look at the first three months to three years in a human's life as the most important in terms of human development. And that is because we're developing our senses. So if we're hungry and we're not getting food, we are going to expect uh, maybe that when we're hungry in the future that we're not going to get food. So we un- overeat or undereat. Or if we were not coddled and held or, or gazed into lovingly our eyes in the first three months to three years, we find that that shows up in adulthood as insecure attachment or secure attachment if, if, the, if the infant was raised by the most perfect mother ever <laughs> um, who was right there all the time with the baby and helping wean them off of the cord into this world, into this reality. And so, yeah, I think about, when I think about Taurus, I think about the senses. I think about security. I think about beauty. You know, what is, you know, even when a baby is not the most beautiful baby, it's still kind of cool. It's a beautiful little creature. It's pure. It's innocent. There's love. You know there's love because at some point love brought this child to the world. Um, that's at, Even if it were for only, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it might have been, there was passion and love that created this child. And so, uh, so yes, I think of the infant and I think one of the reasons I love my Taurus uh, girlfriends so much is a, cause I have a Taurus moon, but also because I love people who value the finer things in life. Life is short. I think why not eat a nice meal at a nice restaurant? I think that's really neat. And I think that a nice pair of jeans is really neat. <laughs> and I, yeah. I find that a lot of my Tauran friends are beautiful by nature, but they really continue to amplify that through their sensual actions throughout the world. And so, or throughout their life, excuse me. And so that's uh, my input of, of Taurus. And, um, I like Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like being a Taurus and I, I'll just expand upon what you said too, and, and say that the word that comes to mind when I think of Taurus is appreciation mm. because it also rules the second house, which relates to, uh, our finances and money and possessions and values. Mm. So it is also dealing with those things and, you know, how we engage with, 
uh, finer things in life, luxury items. Like what is it like to go get a massage and treat yourself to something so that you can have that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and another, uh, thing I just kind of want to back up and say that the, phrase associated with Aries is I am. Mm. And the phrase associated with Taurus is I have. Yeah. So that can kind of also clue you into what it is. Um, just, I think about a, a baby, an infant, like you just said, you know, kind of using its hands, like mm-hmm. walk, you know, crawling around and just grabbing at things mm-hmm. that is so Taurian. Totally. So, um, that is even as an adult, you know, um, I really have to tame myself when I'm <laughs> shopping online or something like you can't have that because you don't have money for it. (laughs) So slow down. But yes. And speaking of slow, it is one of the slower signs. Mm -hmm. It is because it's a fixed energy. It, um, it also, you know, people know Taurus to be the symbol of the bull, you know, and most people be like, Oh, you're a Taurus. You must be really stubborn. I'm like, I guess I don't don't get that one. I do not get that one. I understand the concept behind the, you know, a fixed energy being like once you make up your mind about something, you know, it's it's difficult to change it. But and and I guess I have known Taurus individuals to be um, similar to Cancers in that they value something so much that it's hard to let something go. Um, so maybe that's where that stubborn kind of mentality thing has come from. But I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't actually ever discuss those symbols when I do readings or when I, even when I teach, I never mention the ram and the bull and all these. Cause I don't actually, I get where the symbology comes from, but I don't agree with it. Oftentimes, you know, there's elements to it. It's just like another piece to give it character. But for, because like uh, with, I see this with Taurus and Leo a lot, you know, Taurus is the bull and Leo is the lion and you know, the people who come into my office who are like the most shy tend to always be Leos and they're so confused because they're like, I'm supposed to be this lion and I'm supposed to be out there and brave and I'm putting myself out there. And I'm like, yeah, see, that's not how I see Leo at all. Um, but that's what you've been told. And I can see why there's a misconception and the same thing with Taurus. I get these clients and I say, what do you, and I always ask people before I start the chart, what do you know about the sign? What do you know about your sign? And that's the one Taurus is, instinctively respond to is I'm stubborn. And I always say, I don't actually agree with that. I I don't have that experience. Now that's my experience, but I I don't, that's not my experience of Taurus people. It just isn't. Well, I think, I think because the constellation looks like the sim, you know, I mean, we, we gathered these glyphs from, um, the sky and I think people made those associations and it just got trans mistranslated through life. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I think they're just random cons. Like they have a correlation, sure, but I don't think that they're the full body of the of the sign. I think there's so much more to it. Like when you think about a baby, like sure, I guess they're a little stubborn because they need food, <laughs> like <laughs> shelter. But um, I don't see that as a negative quality nor a dominant one in the Taurus person. So I'm glad we mentioned that. Okay, so moving along to Gemini, may may I introduce uh, this one? Oh, yes, you may. Great. Gemini rising. Thank you. That's right. Yes, and Gemini I'm a moon. Gemini moon. <laughs> Here we go. And this is why we have a podcast where we talk to each other, y'all. <laughs> so, what comes after infancy? 
toddlerhood and childhood. And what do we do in uh, toddlerhood and childhood? Well, we learn how to communicate. We learn how to write words and say words. And once we can do that, we start asking questions. Why is the sky blue? Where did I come from? Why do you have a mustache and you're a girl? I, I'll never forget. I got asked that when in my puberty because I'm this like big Shut Polish up. woman. Yeah. And this little, <laughs> you know, of course, I have more hair than other women. And um, this little the toddler came up to me. He's like, why do you have a mustache when other girls don't? And like, that's the cool thing about children they just say it they do not think before they talk Um, right that's just impulsive and they say it and and it comes out and and I've come to to be very fond of it and so now when toddlers say things to me I'm always I think it's great because they're saying the thing that everyone's thinking but nobody's saying um and so uh another quality I think about with children and toddlers is they're running through the the playground and they're super super excited and then they fall down they 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 hurt their knee, it starts gushing blood, and they just fall apart. They're crying, crying, crying. And then you hand them a lollipop, and they're just like, oh, I'm good now. Um, and just the kind of um, um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde of, of the Gemini. And I am Gemini rising. And, and I actually know, you know, I give a lot of psychological names to all the different signs. And I guess I haven't done it for all of them, but... I do that because I really see the DSM in psychology and modern day psychology as current day mythology. So it's just words we use to describe aspects of the human psyche. And that's what mythology was ultimately doing. And so I, I I know um, it's kind of a bipolar energy. It's hot and it's cold and it's, it's can be out of nowhere. It can be nonsensical at times with the Gemini energy has been my experience. And, um, Yes, talkers, communicators, all that good stuff. So uh, that's what I have to say about the toddlers and children, which I am certainly a part of. Yeah, and it's also ruled by Mercury. Mm -hmm. And so it has this quick, fast thinking, uh, fast moving, fast talking uh, way of, you know, jutting around from idea to idea and and collecting and gathering information as much as possible. And um, Gemini also rules the third house of communication and early learning experiences and kind of like our day-to-day and also our like taking short trips in like, let's say a car instead of an airplane. Um, and it's also, you know, representative of early childhood experiences with our siblings. So usually like the first real communication that we learn is through our engagement with our family and necessarily, of course, all of you only children out there, I'm not, you know, singling you out that this isn't something that you can identify with, but the third house does represent relationships with siblings or sibling like people in your life. Your neighbors too can be considered that as well. And, um, Gemini and the third house, the phrase associated with that is I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to mention the mythology of Mercury, AKA Hermes. And then I forgot to do it for Venus and Aphrodite, but, uh, so Hermes is, he's literally the messenger God. He is the God of athleticism. He's the God of medicine. His symbology in mythology is the caduceus, which is the serpent um, with the wings, which is the medical symbol that we use in all hospitals and all medical systems everywhere in this country. And that's Hermes. That's his symbol. That is because he carried, um, 
that staff of the, the the shaft thing with the the serpents on it, and and the idea with those serpents entangled and twined is is consciousness. It's Kundalini energy. It's uh, that's what this represents in all cultures. That serpent, and then with the wings on it. So it's kind of an intuitiveness. In fact, Gemini or strong Mercurian people. So Mercury is the Roman name. Hermes is the Greek. Same story, uh, but they tend to be actually pretty intuitive. So I always think of Gemini or Mercury people as people who can go between the worlds because that's a big piece about Hermes is he can go between the worlds. He can go hang out with Zeus and be like, what's up Zeus? And then he can go bring someone down into the underworld with Hades and be like, what's up Hades? And then he could go to hang out with Poseidon in the ocean and nobody else can do that. Everybody else is relegated to their little area of mythology because Zeus ruled the clouds and, and you know, thunder and Poseidon with the ocean. And so they had to really stick to those areas, but he's the only of the, the major gods who can literally do whatever he wants. And, you know, you think about children and there's something similar. The, the rules and structures are not so much there yet. And um, there's a, there's just, you know, they're the, the God of everything kiddos because they're interested in everything. Um, and just to step back, Venus ruling Taurus of, of course, she's Aphrodite in mythology and she's born because Kronos cuts off his father's testicles, Uranus, um, the testicles fall into the to, to the ocean and out of the foam of the testicles comes Venus on a half, half shell or Aphrodite on a half shell or whatever that Botticelli painting where her hair is flowing on. That's her, that's her story. And when one of the really interesting parts about Venus is we think about her, her and Aphrodite, we think about them as love. And again, this is ruling Taurus and she does that. Like she's just a, she's a lover, you know, she's not, she's not heterosexual. She's not homosexual. She's omnisexual. She just loves. doesn't matter what you are. She loves you. And, and subsequently the kind of interesting thing about strong Venus people or strong Taurus people or people or Libra people who have this in their chart, the shadow of Venus is that because she's so easy to love both like people fall in love with her easily, but she also falls in love with people easy. It, actually winds up causing a lot of jealousy in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And she's actually the reason for the major wars in the Iliad and the Odyssey because she has, because she loves Hermes and she loves Ares and Ares can't handle it. So he starts a war and she's saying, why can't I love both of you? Like, I just want to love. Why does it have to be relegated to one person or one thing? My, my love goes everywhere. And so, but people get so reliant on her love that when it's taken away, they, they act out really negatively. So she causes war, um, which we'll get into when we talk more about Libra, but I, that's the mythology of those three characters. Um, yeah. And, and I, I didn't talk about Uranus and Kronos and their story, but we will, cause they rule the top half of the chart, but we'll talk about that in the next part. Awesome. I also want to mention for Gemini, um, the, the piece about Mercury and, um, Gemini being the most adaptable, I think. Oh, yeah. what, what I was saying, you know, what you were saying about switching in between worlds mm. and yeah, being adaptable to change, changing yeah. their minds a lot and, yeah. um, being able to see things from both sides. So, uh, yeah, that's also kind of an indicator of people with strong Gemini energy in their chart. And also to a certain extent of uh, being indecisive. 
Yeah. Indecisive and yeah. childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also Love playful. Love you, Gemini. Absolutely. Sorry. Playful and, and, and very funny. Geminis tend to be very funny. They are. Yeah. My mom's a Gemini. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like I was raised by a toddler because she's, she's wildly impulsive with her emotions and I can never know if she's hot or cold or what she's going to be. Um, and she does childish things all the time. But at the same time, my mom is like laugh out loud funny. She is hilarious. And so, <laughs> um, so, but like a toddler, you know, there's, they're really cool and fun, but sometimes they're really frustrating too. And, um, uh, but all of the signs have a, a shadow and a absolutely. A light, so yeah. Uh, okay, so shall we jump into Cancer? Yes. Awesome. So we crossed the threshold. Yes, okay? it's now the summer solstice. Yeah, right? summer solstice, and also you know to s- speak to when we're moving into the first house, we are crossing the ascendant, which is in the east. If we're looking at the medicine wheel of Native American medicine wheel, and so the fourth house cusp is the south um and it's a, the place where we move into home and family and do you want to elaborate yeah sure sure so uh speaking of the seasons i i guess i kind of got away from those um but you know uh, really quickly taurus april showers bring me flowers again the plants are having their sensual fulfillments um, our needs fulfilled. Um, when we're in Gemini time, all the plants are excited and happy. And actually that's when kids get out of school. So look around, like when we move into Gemini, just start noticing how many kids you see. Um, woo, they're all over the place. Uh, but then we go into cancer and I always had a really hard time under relating cancer to the season because when I think of cancer, it's a water sign. And it, um, I, I call it the teenager of the Zodiac, the, you know, why me, the developing of the emotions, which I'll get more into, but I never really understood its relationship to the summer. Cause you I know, can speak to that. I just wrote an article about this. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> I, I have thoughts on it now too, but yeah, go ahead. Um, so I just wrote an article for, um, Tribe to Mamas magazine. I don't know when the issue is coming out, but I wrote about the summer season and the different signs. And so uh, the way that I kind of see it, and I'll bring in a couple of points, but for cancers, the cancer energy is, I, I kind of had this idea and this notion of the heat of summer, right? Which mm-hmm. um, slows everything down. And the energy of uh, cancer is, well, I wouldn't say that it's slow, but it is a water sign. It's it's sensitive. It's intuitive. It's ruled by the moon. And that's our relationship to our emotional life, but also to our home life and to our past. And there's this nostalgia that's associated with summertime that I think that people have, um, you know, growing up when we're children, you know, we finish school, like you said, and then uh, go home for the summer. And it's this sense of like Mm -hmm. being comforted and, you know, enjoying being outside and spending time with family and going on family vacations. So this is kind of where that home and family piece really showed up for me. But also um, in the consideration of the doshas in Ayurveda, Mm. to me, cancer is really the kapha energy, that watery kind of... um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to speak too much about it because it's not my area of expertise, but, uh, it's slower moving, you know, and in, in, in the summertime in June in cancer season, it does tend to get hot and we can really feel that, um, in our bodies. Like, and it's also a place where we're exposing ourselves. That's when we start to take off our clothes and really allow ourselves to be seen by others, um, in relationship with other people. And it can be kind of, uh, 
a place where we might not feel necessarily comfortable or where we do feel comfortable. So all of those kinds of things, uh, fluidly moving beyond, you know, in between those, uh, sensations and feelings and that sort of thing. Totally. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that was, that's it. Yeah. I, when I had, had to think about it for a really long time, I finally went into the statistics of what, what's occurring the most during that time of year. So what are the humans doing primarily? And yeah, they're on vacation with family. So, so statistically we take the highest time, like the highest rate of vacation with family is during the season of cancer. And then in the polarity of the season of Capricorn, when it's Christmas and we gather for that, um, so yeah, it's the family. Yeah. It, it was really, it was good to remember. Yes. And, and you think about too, in terms of more ancient times where, um, maybe dad was out plowing the field or whatever it might be at that time. Um, and mom was at home more so cause dad was out doing the work and he was out outside and mom was home. And so maybe uh, kids were actually spending more time with mom. You're right. Cause they weren't in school and they were with the family and mm-hmm. it finally all starts to, to make sense. And so I'll go into the teenage teenage piece of it. Speaking of mom and the family and home. So I always think of cancer as the teenager. Uh, so after childhood, you know, I, I have the great privilege of working with teenagers in my town where I live. And so I work with kiddos primarily in middle school, actually. So sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And it is amazing the threshold that they cross by the time they, from when the time they enter middle school to the time they leave it. I mean, they are night and day different. I think that must be one of the most dramatic changes in development that we we go through uh and it's kind of like when we go through the summer solstice we're at the it's a massive change you know it's a big change in the season and um yeah and these kids so (laughs) they come in and and you know they're kids at one moment and then they leave as teenagers but the big thing that starts happening is I start asking them more questions and they start saying I don't know more so uh, how do you feel today someone a kid enters my my office I say how do you feel today young one and they say I don't know and I look at them and I say I believe you like you don't know how you feel and so my job as a therapist working with them is to teach them is to help them understand what feelings are so okay so right now I feel like you're feeling three emotions what do you think they are and and they'll be like I don't know I'm like okay I'm feeling jealousy I'm feeling anger and I'm feeling sadness let's talk about what those all mean because they have to learn a we have to learn an emotional life an emotional body uh, and we don't really do that at childhood because we're all of the brain, the thought, the communication. But now our hormones have kicked in and girls are beginning to have their periods and boys are beginning to go through what they go through. And it is a massive change in our body and subsequently our soul and our mind because all these new chemicals are happening to us and they're creating emotions. So a lot of my kiddos come in, they're like, uh, I really like this person I don't, but you know, they go from being friends with this person, all of a sudden they're saying, I like them. And I, is it my boyfriend? Is it my friend friend? You know, so I'm always working out with my teenage girls. What are boys and and what do you feel about them and helping them understand this changing emotion that they're having towards these, these, these boys that used to be just, you know, kids hanging out with them, but now they're actually feeling things for them or for girls or whatever it might be. Uh, so I help with that. And so when I think about the cancer, I do think about 
developing of the emotions. And this is, again, one of those things that I feel like cancers come in and they're like, everyone says I'm supposed to have, like, have my heart on my sleeve. And I'm like, I totally disagree with that. I think you guys are, you have a lot of emotion, I would, but, but it's almost uncomfortable. So with men specifically, uh, which I know lots of cancer men because my dad is a cancer and my brother's a cancer. And so I've like dated cancers and I almost married one and I know the men really well. And one of the things that they really struggle with is that they do feel and they've been raised in a culture that of course doesn't accept that and so what I find a lot of these guys wind up doing is they start pushing people out and away from their emotions Um, and in this analogy the crab actually makes sense because it's this really gushy softness uh, with this really hard exterior and so um you know, they, I think a lot of the men struggle with, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to feel anything, but I feel a lot. So I'm going to over masculize myself. I'm going to become very masculine. So nobody sees these emotions. Um, it's, it's just an experience I have, but I think about that like a teenager. So when a teenager gets really mad at mom and dad, they don't like sit around talking about it. They run to the room and slam the door. Um, I don't want you to see this. This is so explosive. It's so big. I'm going to hide in my little shell. I'm going to hide in my little home, my little comfort place. Um, and so I, I, I see that a lot more with the men, of course, uh, oftentimes with the women, but that strong Cancerian moon people uh, have that, have that quality to to me. So that's my two cents about it. Sorry. I was trying to get off of mute there. My dog started barking. <laughs> um, I really loved everything that you were saying. I've, I've not like thought about it in that context, but I do uh, want to say also that it is cancer, uh, you know, very sensitive sign. And I think everything you spoke to really, you know, uh, speaks to that. And the word associated or the phrase associated with cancer is I feel. Mm. Um, and obviously it, pertains to your feelings and on the inside, you know, your, your private life. Um, and it is very much the fourth house is kind of like your private life, you know, what you do behind closed doors that maybe only the people closest to you actually know about, um, or maybe you only know about that. And it's also a place of nourishment, you know, in terms of its relationship to the summer, it's the most abundant season and everything's out there and there's fresh fruit and people kind of like go for it. You know, they just, go crazy on the eating bit in the summertime. You know, there's more daylight hours. And, um, actually I eat less in the summer. I just tend to, but I, I feel like people are in a very celebratory state. Um, a lot of the time, or if, yeah, if they're on vacation, they're going to do that as well. Um, and it's also a very nurturing sign. Um, and it's a patriotic sign. Mm -hmm. The United States of America celebrates its birthday on July 4th. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, the sun sign for the United States Mm -hmm. and how interesting that the United States is, has the biggest military, Mm -hmm. the most protection, Mm -hmm. and we are the biggest wimps, like, you know, culturally. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we have like this, like, don't come near us, you know? And like, (laughs) let me tell you, like, just like a teenager would like, like, let me tell you how it's like and how it should be. Okay. And I've only lived 14 years, but I'm going to show you what's up. Right. So (laughs) it's, pretty interesting. Um, we're the teenagers of the world. (laughs) We're the teenagers of the world. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So sensitivity, (laughs) protection, security, you know, making sure that you have your doors locked kind of thing. Yeah. A little paranoid, but that's of course the shadow aspect of 
answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, because I've been so inundated with the cancer men throughout my life, I love them. I really, God, you know, I, you get a, they're one of those things like, ah, stay away from, you know, cancer men or stay away from cancers. I've I've heard that before, you know, all the signs. Oh yeah. I hear that a lot. Um, I hear it about a lot of the signs, to be honest. There's ones that I hear more than the others, but I, I just like totally disagree with that uh, because I am a woman who wants to be able to talk wholeheartedly with a man and really be able to communicate and talk about feelings and big ideas. And when I've dated other signs, they're they're quick to not want to do that. They, you know, like an Aries, like uh, he just wants to go and hunt things and (laughs) get on motorcycles and like, you know, talking about deep emotions isn't something that really entertains other signs as much as it does the cancer. So, um, and just the fact that I'm a woman, I really, that's something I yearn for. And, and let's, of course, because it is ruled by the moon and, and you talked about the moon ruling um, emotions and, and it rules the feminine. It is the feminine. And, um, so, uh, I like that because I'm, I am a woman uh, with some, strong feminine qualities. And I like, I like that. And, and when we think about the moon too, just one last piece about that. I like to think of it too. Like when it is out, we are home and we are private. That's when we have our most relation, our biggest relationship with it. And that's really about processing. And I find that with my cancer girlfriends and guy friends, uh, that it's, we process a lot. And I, I dig that because we do, that's what we do at night. When we go home, we process and we process while we sleep and, the moon does represent that word word okay moving along let's move into leo we've got two signs left so we got leo ruled by the sun it's fire uh and to me it's the 20 something person mm-hmm. so uh, i don't know if you want to start or yeah i'll just talk about uh that before you go into the uh, developmental piece but yes yeah, it's, it's ruled by the sun and the sun is out in the middle of the summer and uh it's a celebratory season most people have their weddings in the summertime at least in the northern hemisphere so it's you know check your calendar in the summertime and, and just notice how many things you have planned yep. and how fast everything goes because it's just jam-packed yep. um so leo is definitely the party the party sign of the zodiac and and also um the playful childlike sign, you know, where we're comfortable in our expression and, you know, kind of getting a sense for how we're relating to other people and, um, taking risks and being able to enjoy the fun of life and being creative. I think that that's, uh, the most that I see with Leo's is that they're bold in their self-expression, but also in their creativity. You know, they're definitely engaging with that and, um, using that solar fire to kind of bring things forward into form. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, yes, totally. And uh, in terms of development, yeah, I, I, I look at this as a 20 somethings and you're naming all that. And, uh, so look at how the majority of people spend their twenties, at least certainly here in America. And, uh, they do it as the twenties as a time to explore thyself. And uh, I always describe it as you leave home for the first time and you go out into the world and you say, hello, I'm Eugenia. I am 
oh shit i had literally have no idea right like <laughs> like i i guess i kind of like to play sports because like my parents put me in sports but i don't know like if that's how i want to describe myself um i guess i kind of am attracted to this type of person but i don't know i'm kind of feeling like i might be attracted to this type of person uh so that's what we do in the 20s we go out and we explore who we are and we do that by fucking up uh, because we don't have a frontal cortex yet and you know we're we're not nearly even close to being adults yet and we don't see the future so we we make really reckless decisions in our 20s so we uh, might be promiscuous we might do drugs or drink too much and uh, because all in pursuit of trying these different things on for size to see who we are and in terms of development I know a lot of people in their 20s feel like they they need to be adults at this point and I find that to be detrimental for people because physiologically you are not an adult yet uh they were saying for a very long time that the frontal cortex came in at 25 but now science is um uh changing its tune per fucking usual and um now they're saying 30 which makes a lot lot more sense to me oh yeah when saturn return happens because it's such a painful experience and your brain is like oh god there's consequences and but at this point we don't know consequences we're in our 20s and so you know, a lot of people who do get married and have children or start a family in their 20s, that's why their midlife crisis tends to be so monumental because they didn't take that time to develop the, their self-identity. They were doing things based on what they thought they were supposed to be doing. And so, you know, they go into their Uranus opposition usually in their early 40s and it happens at all different times and they're like, oh God, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. Whereas I think people who get married after Saturn return and start families and make really, really massive life decisions, once they've developed that part of their psyche, have not that they're not going to have regrets and have crises, but I think at least they, they made these decisions knowing that was definitely what they wanted for their future. Whereas when we're in our 20s, we can't see really to the future. Uh, you know, we actually can't. And so we're making really, we just make really silly decisions. We make great decisions too, but it is an incredibly creative time. Um, and it is, it's all about us. And it, But the way I like to describe Leo, you know, so I get a lot of Leos because one of the things, you know, as I read astrology books and things like that throughout my life I would read about Leo that they were the actor or the musician or somebody out on the stage and as I started to practice uh, astrology I started to realize that that wasn't that was not the client who was coming into my office and and I have to use a quick story about Leo because this is my best way to describe Leo so I uh, was actually get, you know I was getting into astrology and of course like most people I was doing the chart for literally anybody I'd meet like oh what time are you born I gotta look at your chart I gotta look at your chart and this one gal uh, who um, worked at the counseling center where we went to school she was a Leo sun, a Leo rising and a Leo moon. And I was like, what? Cause she was very quiet. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, she was not really somebody at the time that you would be like, you would think, Oh my God, she's way out there and she's putting herself out there. She was incredibly quiet and shy and I just didn't get it. And I couldn't understand it. And after a few months after like really thinking about it and meditating about it, at some point it clicked at me and I went up to her and I said, Hey, so 
did you paint every single, well, the majority of paintings that are hung up in this counseling center? And she said, yeah. I said, but you're not, your signature's not on any of them. She's like, well, yeah, I don't want people to like, no, it's me. And I'm like, so you don't want people to know it's you, but you're actually affecting everybody in probably one of the biggest ways that anyone at this school is affecting this school because you're setting the tone of the counseling center where every student has to come to to do their practicum where every student sits and does their first client work and is staring at these paintings and their clients are staring at the paintings so you're setting the tone for the heart of the school that's leo (laughs) and another way i think about leo is when i was in my early 20s i know the first few times i started smoking weed you know, I'm smoking weed, I get really paranoid. And uh, I'd be like, everyone in the room's looking at me, everyone's looking at me, everyone's looking at me. And and then, of course, everybody around me was thinking the same thing. And that, to me, is Leo as well. Because there's, it's a paranoia that everybody is looking at me. Um, and they are, in a lot of ways, because is, Leo is ruled by the sun. But because Leo is so affecting... I, te- I tend to notice that Leos then try to push away from being seen as much as they naturally will be. And so there's an insecurity I find in a lot of Leos because it's like I affect so many people and it freaks me out. So I'm going to just try not to affect people. But regardless of, of what the Leo chooses to do, they will affect huge amounts of people um, the way that somebody in their 20s does because uh, there's such a charge or such a life to it. Um, and of course it's that fire sign. So, and it's ruled by the sun, mm-hmm. the center of the solar system. I mean, it is kind of the mm-hmm. center of the Zodiac in that sense. It's, they do, Leo's do play central roles, um, in their lives. So. Yeah, I'll add to that. Um, I, I, what I'm hearing from what you're saying too, is just the healthy expression of the Leo energy, because some of the Leos I've encountered have been kind of egomaniacs and, <laughs> Um, and because the sun rules our identity and our ego, um, it has the capacity to go, you know, to extend itself in on the spectrum of that expression, yeah. you know, over to over amp it, to yeah. overdo it. But with the sun being, um, you know, our inner light and, and shining light, of course, always getting attention, um, there is a way to express the Leo energy from that heart centered space. And I actually always refer to Leo being the heart chakra of, yeah. uh, the Zodiac and, um, it, it, I like what you're speaking to about the twenties with the, um, pursuit of pleasure, because that's really Leo as well. And, and it's also the fifth house, which Leo rules. Um, and, and it is the fifth house is also about sexuality and exploring that and, um, it, you know, having fun with, uh, our bodies, like in a pleasurable sense. So, you know, your twenties definitely being this kind of time where it's like, fuck it. I just want to, like do as many people or, you know, not that that's everybody's story, but for a lot of people it is, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a time of exploration and, um, putting ourselves out there, uh, to see what it's like, like try out all these different identities and to act in different identities, you know, to try on different roles, um, and to see which one fits. And then later as we evolve through, you know, our life cycle to really clearly define through our Saturn return, what identity we most identify with. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I I keep shining your lights, Leo. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Love Leo's by the way. Love them. (laughs) Totally. Love them. So, all right. And so that brings us to our, uh, last, sign of the episode which is Virgo so 
Um, I'll just really quickly say the human development phase and I'll let you run with it. But I see Virgo as the late 20s, early 30s, Saturn return phase of life, a.k.a. the get your shit together phase of life. Uh, Frontal cortex comes in. We realize that our actions have consequences, which is very painful to realize uh, because we realize when that frontal cortex comes in, we realize that we will die, um, that we have to make decisions. We have to think differently because we realize that we have a, a limited time on this planet, whether it's because we had kids or because we've been through a very challenging situation, whatever it might be, we have to learn to get our shit together. And because if I go out and I get drunk all day, uh, like I did in my twenties, I wake up the next morning and I am not well. And if I'm not well, then I can't go to my job and make money, which I need to pay my bills to feed my face. So, uh, there's a, something happens to us where we really realize, okay, I've got to get my poop in a group. It's time to get organized. It's time to, um, uh, start being of service to this world. So what did I learn in my twenties and how do I put that into service? How do I now start giving back to the world and what do I need to perfect that? Do I need to go back to school? Do I need to get better educated in this area? Um, and, uh, in, in terms of the season, right? So we're coming out of Leo, you know, full bloom, full summer, all that good stuff. And then the plants begin to perfect themselves during this phase. So uh, while we perfect ourselves during this phase, so do the plants. Um, and so that's some stuff I'd like to say about Virgo. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Virgo is also ruled by Mercury, uh, but I also like to bring in Chiron as its co-ruler, Chiron being an asteroid uh, and in, in the way of speaking to the purest aspect of Virgo, separating the, the wheat from the shaft, really analyzing and um, kind of focusing on the essentials, like what's really necessary so that I can bring uh, my you know whole being into practical service to the world. And it does rule the sixth house of work, service, and health and sickness. Uh, so it is the, the house of healing. And Virgo is a healing sign. I don't know if You've been in the presence of Virgos, but they do have this kind of way of uh, being grounded and yet, uh, you know, communicating it with such a precision that they can, you know, kind of be a little bit detached in the healing process, which I think is really helpful for a healer to not get totally, you know, like it's opposite of the Pisces of like merging, um, being a little bit more having some boundaries around that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I will say Virgos are really, the, the organization is not so much in my experience that, I mean, I have known Virgos and Virgo risings and Virgo moons who are very particular about how they do things, you know, um, with organization, where things are placed and that sort of thing. And then some that are messy like super messy people. Mm. And I just think that that's really interesting, but they, it's like, they're caught, they they know where their stuff is. You know, it's like an organized chaos for them. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, it would look a little crazy, but I also have three planets in Virgo and I love to organize. So, Mm -hmm. well, and there is that, it's a good thing that you brought that up because there's a big piece of all this that 
we have to keep in mind when we are born under certain influences, it's, you know, and I really feel like we don't start exhibiting our sun signs, you know, certainly not really until after Saturn return. But I think we, as we grow older and move towards our essence, that's when we really start fulfilling our sun sign qualities. But I really see the sun sign in our charts as um, our curriculum. So, you know, with Virgo, the curriculum is perfection. And, you know, Jason Holly had taught me about Virgo by saying Virgo is atonement, that people, strong Virgoing people are born with a sense of atonement. That is, I've done something wrong um, or I am something wrong and and something's wrong with me. And and (laughs) think about yourself at the late 20s, early 30s or sad in return. That's pretty much the, the primary thoughts that go through the mind. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, why haven't I figured it out yet why aren't I not more organized and so I think that the curriculum of the Virgo is organization and that doesn't mean that one is organized or isn't it just means that it's an important piece of the curriculum for the Virgo and God bless them I have nothing in Virgo and I need it desperately so I really (laughs) appreciate Virgos because they help fill in that gap for me uh, because I can't I can't organize to save my life it's a huge challenge of mine so um, yeah. And I think it's, it's also something to keep in mind before we, um, you know, we as a whole, you know, everybody in their charts, um, when we're moving from the sixth to the seventh house, it's, it's such a shift because the first six houses are all about our relationships with ourselves yes. and our personal life. And then we move into the interpersonal houses and the sixth house is kind of that place where it's like, you know, yeah, like you say, like get your shit together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I guess just make sure that you your needs are met and taken care of before you enter into a relationship with somebody else, okay. because that will be the seventh house, which will be another conversation that we're going to have. But it's uh, in that way, you know, really focusing on the one's own, I don't know, essence. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, so yeah, so that is our conclusion for the bottom half of the chart, personal development, like Danielle said, but when we bring in part two, we will jump up to the second half, which is the interpersonal. It's our relationship outside of ourself, uh, that we continue to have throughout life. And, um, and yeah, so I think this is a good closing place. And, uh, you know, I just want to mention too that I, I love to teach. It's like my thing. Uh, I think it's fabulous. I think it's just wonderful. And so I, I've been teaching for quite a few years now. I've created a, a syllabus that I enjoy with a lot of history on the planets and a lot of history on the science behind everything and the mythology. Uh, I'm real into that. So I just want to put out there a little plug for people. If that's, if this is something that you found even remotely interesting or it's something you want to uh, explore more, um, please email me. My website is eugeniacroc.com or you can email me at eugenia at eugeniacroc.com, which is just E-U-G-E-N-I-A at E-U-G-E-N-I-A-K-R-O-K.com. And I'm going to be starting a new online class uh, come May. And so I'm gathering up people for that. And uh, we'll, t- we'll, it'll be like this. It'll be natural and easy and fun and um, revealing is the hope. And and I have a few webinars I do from time to time. So if you get on my little 
newsletter thing, you can be updated on that as well. So uh, just a little plug for me uh, that, yes, I'd love to continue teaching outside of this episode and, and in the next part two episode that we'll wind up doing as well. Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> Son in the ninth house lady. Girl, yeah. you know it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So um, that's it for this episode. We hope you're all uh, enjoying hanging out here in outer space with us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we will be back with part two at some point. Yes. So much love. Love you all. Bye. Bye.